Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey Psychotherapy. I'm Alec Mappa, and I'm a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Matt Dempsey. I'm here to help clean up the mess a little bit. I'm a psychotherapist and multicultural counselor. With two master's degrees from Columbia. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I I don't know why. You know what? Listen, you're so humble about that. And I would like to, I would like rub that in people's faces. <laughs> like, uh, like if I got into you. an argument with anybody, I would say, I have two master's degrees from Columbia. What do you have? <laughs> is it, is, do you think you're a naturally self-deprecating person or you're just, you just kind of like, don't bring light to it. I try not to be too self-deprecating. It's really mm-hmm. enticing though. I think especially in, in I built in a kind career of like, on it. In kind of like queer culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like gay guys, especially like really love to just kind of, uh, you know, make little jabs and, you know, kind of cut down a little bit, even if it's at their own expense. So it's like, right. it's kind of like fun and funny, but um, I kind of try to avoid it as much as I can because I really? still think, because I still think that there is a, uh, a real negative impact that it, that it can have on you. Yes. Because even if you're doing it in jest, it still is a message that you're kind of recycling. And so at some point, you know, we're going to be buying into it a little bit. It can be corrosive. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Corrosive is what I'm hearing. So you don't really kind of like goof on yourself. I do sometimes. I do sometimes, but I really try to do it sparingly, you know, but I've always been curious and I've asked other comedian friends this Mm -hmm. and I'll ask you the same question. How do you strike the right balance? Because in a way it's kind of your job, right? Like yes, you're a comedian, but, so it's a but, part of it. So how yeah, do you but see, ride that There's two parts line? to it, okay? If I tell a self-deprecating story on stage and it gets a huge laugh, then I right. win at my own expense. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm telling the story, I'm telling the narrative, and usually when I tell a story, it's usually like after the fact or immediately after the fact. Yeah. Like I was on a gay cruise, I got on stage, and I talked about a cocktail party I had gone to. Did I ever mm-hmm. tell you this? Uh, maybe. So we were invited to a cocktail party, very fancy cocktail party at yeah. the um, suite of Brian Graydon, who at the time was the um, president of MTV. And I came in with my husband. We like rushed. We're like, oh, we have to go to that cocktail party. It's that tea time. Let's go. So we rushed from our cabin. We went and I talked with Brian for a good, I'm not kidding, half an hour. Okay. And in a way that he let his hair down. He wasn't a producer. He wasn't uh, executive. That's we nice. were just at the middle of the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And some guy comes up to me immediately after Brian's talked to me. And he goes, are you Alec Mappa? And I said, yeah. And he goes, is that cum on your neck? Uh, what? And, and is that cum on your neck? Uh-huh. And I could see my reflection in his sunglasses. And I, I had this white stripe down. Like I had not rinsed as thoroughly as I had thought. <laughs> So I was trying to play it off like, oh, no, it's, it's Wait, just I'm probably- sorry. This this was cum or was it like sunscreen lotion? Like stick with me. Stick with me. <laughs> so I said, no, it's probably just ice cream or or, or sunscreen lotion. And then he licked his thumb. Ice cream. And then, and then rubbed it on my neck, put it, his thumb back in his mouth. And he went, nope, that's cum. <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. So I have no I, idea where we are in this story right now, by the way. I so told that story on stage that <laughs> night. It got a huge laugh and became uh, part of my repertory. And it's kind of like my trade in that I I tell stories where I'm the one literally with egg on my face because um, uh-huh. that's fun to do. It takes the piss out of everything. And I think yes. it makes me um, – uh, 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 Hearing somebody tell a humiliating story about themselves and laughing about it, I, yes. it's very, it's it's a way to establish rapport. Okay, I have two questions for you. Tear yourself down in front of an audience I and establish his rapport. Two questions for you. One, was it actually come? <laughs> I don't know if this has been established. Yes. <laughs> I went to a cocktail party. We were in such a rush and I had jizz on my neck. 
<laughs> Listen, you don't need to qualify. It was a simple yes or no. Okay, two. We have a guest waiting in the in the, in the waiting room, and she probably has left by now. <laughs> but I just wanted to establish the tone of the show. It is established. Okay, the yeah. second question I have. I get it, right? Like the fact that you can use your real life stuff, uh, make light of it, make fun of yourself, like mm -hmm. that becomes just part of the comedy. Right. It's like you said, if it gets a laugh, it's like you went at your job, but it's at your expense. So how do you know when it's too much? When it's too much, you know, it's it's so funny because like people come to my uh, solo shows or my stand up and they go, oh my God, you got so personal. I said, well, I'm telling my version of things. Right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yes. all my stories are kind of engineered. I would, I if, because to me, funny's funny. Right. But if there's something genuinely mortifying or genuinely hurtful that happened to me, like yeah. remember on the show when I was doing a Broadway play, I told you about, I went to uh, the, the uh, restaurant in between shows and I heard people in the back in the booth in back of me. Right. Yeah. Talking about what a yeah. bad actor I was yeah. Yeah. and how, you know, you know, what a fag that guy is. And, yeah. and, and that was like, uh, like I can talk about that now and be like, huh, weren't they mean? But I, I wouldn't, I've never told that story in a show because it's still really kind of hurtful. Yeah, that's really hurtful. But there's a difference, I think, uh, from telling certain stories that have, that have happened to you that are maybe kind of over the top or ridiculous. And you're just mm -hmm. being vulnerable about it and kind of mm -hmm. like laughing along at like, wasn't that yes. ridiculous? There's a difference between that and also like taking the piss out of yourself, like actually kind of cutting yourself down, which is self-deprecating. So mm -hmm. how do you find the right balance so that you're not overdoing that that strategy. I think it's always reading the room and also kind of reading. Uh, I write for my own taste. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if I, I, I'm not mean to the audience or to the people I talk about. Yeah. I don't do, I tried when I first started doing stand up. I tried doing Kathy Griffin's act and I'm not good at that. I'm yeah. not good at talking about celebrities. Um, I, you know, it's like, I'm from a Filipino family of four kids. Mm -hmm. And it's it was we were like crabs always pulling each other down. It was never yeah. about like anybody. There's a, a, a Filipino saying a word called mayabang, which is showing off your show off. Uh, OK. And that and it also means like you're, you're puffed up and you're thinking too much of yourself. Yeah. And in our culture, that's thought of like as a bad thing. Sure. It's like arrogance. It's like arrogance. Yeah. It's arrogance. Okay. But, uh, you know, the bad side of that is I never really celebrate my own victories. I kind of really yeah. minimize all of the things that I do. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then I mean, I my husband's white. He got a sheet cake for waking <laughs> up in the morning. So uh, that's that's how they roll. That's not everybody. That's just those white people. Uh, just you. Just you. There was probably a Matthew Dempsey sheet cake for, oh, he brushed his teeth. So... <laughs> No, I mean, for real, I, the whole master's degree, like you're not mayabang about that. I mean, every time I mention it, you kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of like, um, you don't minimize yeah. it, but you don't kind of focus on it. Like no, I've never even what? asked you what your dissertation was or how long that took. Right. Yeah. Because it's not necessary. Do you know what I mean? Like that was just kind of a part of, that was just a part of my own process, my own journey of just being able to kind of, uh, you know, get the the skills and the training that I needed to do to kind of just like have the conversations I love having and do the work I love to do. So it doesn't really matter to me kind of where you, where you get that education from. So you didn't whatever. get those master's degrees in order to rub it in people's noses. I didn't, but I, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that there wasn't a little bit of, that there wasn't a little bit of like ego in the fact that it's like, Oh, look, you know, I'm like, I, I got into this specific institution. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like that, that right. did feel good. But the number one reason why I was really interested in it was because of the specific program, which was multicultural counseling. And as a gay mm. man and, you know, and also somebody who is, you know, very interested in kind of like the cultural experiences we have and how that shapes our yes. mental health. That's why I went into that program. So that's why I don't think that it's as necessary to talk about. The okay. Well, stuff. we'll talk about that separately okay. sometime right, because right, right. I, I'm really curious about it, about okay. that process and what you have to do just because I don't have the bandwidth, I think, to get a master's degree. <laughs> I, I look at me. Also, I tell um, self-deprecating stories or I'll pass on a story in which I end up with egg on my face in order to deal with my own embarrassment. You yeah. know, uh -huh. um, our guest today is Jennifer Tilly, um, yes. one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite people. We did Legendary. a we did a, a series together in 1992. I mean, we go way back. We did yeah. a series for Fox. We'll talk about when she's on the air. Um, so I did this I did this television series with Jennifer, mm -hmm. and then I didn't work again. I, I I did not work, and I just moved to LA, and I was catering as I was a cater waiter at a party mm -hmm. running. 
a, a, an espresso machine at a party that Jennifer was at. Oh. And I tried to hide because I was embarrassed. <laughs> and she saw me. <laughs> And she went, hey, Alec. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was just so I just felt like, wah, wah. Uh, why? What was it about being in that moment that felt embarrassing that you want to hide from? That I had a kind of I had been up here with her on a television program. I had, right. We had we had spent time together in Key West on location. And here I was with the hard bitten of reality of I hadn't moved on to yeah. greener pastures. I was yeah. I was still struggling. Yep. So I guess that that kind of. Um, like now, I think I have the wherewithal and the ego to go, hey, what's up? Yeah. Money's tight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you want paper or plastic? <laughs> but um, I, back then, I was, you know, I just got in L.A. and I was really, really embarrassed. Yeah, that makes sense. Was it was there self-deprecating humor that you used uh, in that moment? I don't know. I I, uh, <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I probably I'm researching for a role, you know, um, <laughs> I'm playing an unhinged barista. You know, it's I, I and I saw Kathy and Jimmy at another party that I was at. So I think it's, you know, when I started out with Kathy, you know, in comedy clubs and everything. And it was that thing of like uh, uh, being embarrassed or. The self-deprecating part comes into like in comedy is like I'm seeing what you're seeing. Yeah. I'm not I'm not pretending not to be in the same reality as you are. Well, but also and I think anybody can relate to this with comedian or not that I'm going to I'm going to get to it first. Right. Before you can even you know what I mean? Like me, I've got like I've got a few pimples on my forehead today. Like you know, I'll be the one to call it out first. Right. Like all oh, these pimples are so annoying. So nobody else then has to kind of make a comment or think, think anything about them. it. I can't see them. <laughs> that's not the point. Alex. Do you have makeup? Are you no. makeup? Uh-uh. I've I've been on the show with like that huge honking zit on my chin. <laughs> Remember? And then I had one on my nose. Listen, we can talk about our, our, yeah, our yeah, dermato- yeah. dermatological problems forever, but we have Jennifer Tilly waiting yes. in the wings. And I can't wait to have her on the show. You're going to love her. Stick around. We'll be back with Jennifer Tilly after these important messages. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. We're so excited to talk to our guest today. You may know her from her Oscar-nominated role as Olive Neal in the dark comedy Bullets Over Broadway. She starred in numerous films, including Liar Liar with Jim Carrey, and she earned Saturn Award and MTV Award nominations for her performance in the thriller Bound. I do. I After I saw her in Bullets Over Broadway, I spoke as her for years. Olive, <laughs> Olive, charm, charm. <laughs> of course, you know her as Tiffany Valentine in the slasher film Child's Play. She's now re- re- reprising that iconic role in the new Chucky television show on Sci-Fi and USA Network. They're going to make me do that as a pickup because I totally tripped through the whole thing. If that isn't <laughs> enough, she's also a killer poker player and a wonderful person. Please welcome my friend, the one and only Jennifer Tilly. Yay. 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 Oh, my God. Hello, and we didn't even hate you, snack. We didn't even mention that you're also a queer icon, not only because of Bride of Chucky, but because of Bound. When that movie came out, I saw it in San Francisco, and it was filled with lesbians, Mm -hmm. and it was completely silent. Like you could hear a guitar drop. I mean, it was like me and Lori Petty were, we had to go in the bathroom and climb out the bathroom window and start running because we were being mobbed so much. Well, this is how Lori tells it. And she's like, Jennifer, I had like four inch high heels on. She's like, take off those shoes and run, run for your (laughs) life. And I was like, I can't, they go with my outfit. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, Lori never wears high heels, but yeah, that, 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 that sort of cemented it for me my ex-husband said if there was a mount rushmore of gay icons you would be on it yes yeah happy griffin <laughs> were you aware of that when you came out the kind of like groundswell because it was a washoff did you ever see it matthew 
It's it's a mm. it's a noir thriller that was uh, directed by the Wachowskis, oh. correct? Mm. Yes. The younger generation has not seen it. Like yeah. I thought it would be around forever, but when it first came out, the studio didn't know what to do with it, and so mm. they sort of just threw it out there. But over the years, it became a cult classic. Oh my and god! And now a new generation is rediscovering it. It's like on Netflix, oh, cool. and it's it's um, film noir with a twist. It's two uh, people that rip off the mob, and they're in love, and they happen to be women. So it's very groundbreaking, yeah. and it's time because when I did Bound, there weren't a lot of lesbian um, storylines. It was like Red Shoe Diaries, like soft porn, like a lot of actresses. The Wachowskis told me all the actresses that wouldn't come in and read for it. And I was like, Uh, the best two female roles that I've ever read and mm -hmm. these actresses wouldn't read because they were worried it would be bad for their career. And, you know, we've come such a long way. So it's it's sort of astonishing now to think of it because now there's so many um, lesbian storylines but back then like if you were uh if it turned out you were a lesbian then you were also a killer like you know basic instinct. right yeah, yeah. and yeah. you guys were so hot together gina gershon's like really butch she's like a mechanic right and you're like the the mob uh, mall and together matthew i mean just like everybody in this theater was like i can't talk i can't Oh, when I was running with Lori Petty, that was for Relax It's Just Sex, another um, film about uh, another gay themed film that I did. That's right. Lori wasn't inbound. <laughs> Lori is <laughs> Gina Gershon. Many, many instances of me um, running from lesbians. <laughs> I'm Elvis Presley in the lesbian world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. C- coming Alan, to you live from I Graceland. At that, I don't remember seeing you at that premiere. If you were standing by the coffee machine, I probably thought you were being really nice and making me a coffee, like one <laughs> actor to another, like, here, Jen, let me get this for you. <laughs> it was at the Hammer Museum. Mm-hmm. It was a premiere for Regarding Henry, starring Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. Right. And you were there. You were part of the uh, Glitterati, and oh. I was catering. <laughs> I love that word. I I totally don't remember you catering, but yeah. I remember when you were on Key West and you had the recurring role. I think you were like the gay mayor of Key West yeah. or okay. The the guy who wrote Key West, David Beard, loved we all loved Alex so much. And we wanted you to be a regular. And yes. he wanted you to be a regular too. You were recurring. And the studio goes. We don't want any gay characters on this show. We were like, wow. are you kidding me? A show and about Key West. Key West. And they didn't want any gay characters. I'm like, Key West. Yeah. Key West. And it was originally called Sex and Politics at the End of the World, which I think is a wonderful title. Yeah. And the studio made them change it to Key West. And then they shot an opening, which was Fisher Stevens on a boat with a bunch of girls in bikinis. And we were all like, this is not what this show is about. They're yeah. trying to make it like Baywatch, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. but yeah. we loved you. We all talk about you to this day. Like, oh, oh thank you, so thank much. you. He's, fa- he's fabulous. So good, so good. We yeah. were up against Roseanne, Matthew. Oh, oh yeah, wow. mm. yeah. And so uh, Fox pulled the plug. Oh well, yeah, faster See, than you can say Malcolm they, in the middle. The guy that ordered it <laughs> moved on to another network and he ordered 13 episodes. He loved mm-hmm. the pilot so much. And then you guy didn't like it at all. And then they moved it around. <laughs> After a couple um, weeks, they were like, let's try it here. Let's try it there. And, you know, this 13 viewers that loved the show were like, we can't find it. Where is it? So, yeah, we didn't even they didn't even air all the episodes, but it's a huge hit up in Canada because they had it on at the same time every week. Imagine that. I have no <laughs> what idea. A concept. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> So we're talking today about self-deprecating senses of humor, and I know you have yes. them. You mm-hmm. take the you take the piss out of yourself. Do you find yourself that's where did that habit form? Do you well, find you do that quite a bit? I started doing it in high school, and you know I was a little weirdo. Uh, my parents, my stepdad was this crazy psychotic hippie, and mm-hmm. you know when you live in dysfunctional families, they're always pulling you out out of school. Like my mom was a school teacher, so she's like, "Let's homeschool you," and our stepdad would say stuff like. I don't want you to become part of the government machine. <laughs> like I remember I wanted to be in Girl Scouts and he goes, they're teaching you to be soldiers. And I was like, no, I just want to make brownies. And, and so oh, he was he like I a said, conspiracy theorist type yeah, guy. Like, yeah. He was like a David uh, Koresh type. But oh. so anyway, we were very, we were the great unwashed me and all my sisters and, and we're weird clothes and we're just odd because we, you know, 
kids need to go to school because they need to get acclimated. Like mm-hmm. we just yeah. made, I remember once I, I got an A, I was very excited. And my stepdad goes, that doesn't say anything about you. It just says stuff about the, it says uh, about the teacher. It says more about the teacher than you. It means <gasps> nothing. And my wow. mom, she wanted me to go to college. She was a debutante. And she's she like, oh, oh, good, Jennifer. Good. But, you know, she waited till my stepdad was out of the room to say, that's very good. You know, that's good. I don't even know how I got an A because I usually spent about maybe two thirds or half of the school year actually in school. Cause we would get pulled out of school for months at a time. So I was always very eager to find my place in the world. Aside from being, remember the breakfast club, the Ali Sheedy character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I auditioned for that part. Oh, but that, wow. was, that was kind of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird and strange. So we moved, we moved every year and every year I was like, I want to be, I want to be like the other kids, but you know, I kind of couldn't cause we were, didn't have any money and we were weird and strange and didn't mm, have yeah but i would go we had a little tiny budget on the very first day of school i would look around and i could instantly tell who the popular kids were yeah. and i'd say the popular kids are wearing bell bottoms and earth shoes and i would run to the store and i put i buy my bell bottoms and my earth shoes with my my money that it had for the whole school year and i show up the next day like i'm one of you hey, yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but i i never i really didn't have any friends and then when i got to be mm. um in 11th grade, I found my place in the world. We moved to another school and I looked around and I said, this crowd doesn't have, they call them space cadets, doesn't have air, uh, an airhead. So I started doing this dumb blonde, like kind of Paris Hilton. It's a simple. Yeah, line, yeah. Like, uh-huh. Oh, oh, what? What's a washing machine? <laughs> they <were all> laugh. <laughs> They'd be like, Jennifer, you're such an airhead. So I sort of started doing that when I came to Hollywood. This is how old I am. I started going on Johnny Carson and I was doing that kind of Marilyn. I remember. And I would set him up and I would set up the joke and then he'd like tie it in a bow and make a perfect joke out of it and hand it back to me. And so that's kind of where I think when I started, that was sort of my act. Like I played sort of a dumb bimbo, but I'm actually incredibly brilliant but I you know, don't have to be <laughs> like when Goldie Hawn did it on Laugh-In right. mm-hmm. you have to be smart to do that yes. you have to be smart to know the timing of it to know the setup mm-hmm. to know when I mean you have to have an awareness of that and it, an intelligence in order to play that kind of character and really intelligent people like my fan base is like the smartest and you know like I said I have like a huge gay following and mm-hmm. I'd say like uh well, okay, but I'd say that people that the ones that understood that I wasn't actually like a dumb bimbo were the people that sort of got the comedy of it, like yeah, right, yeah. and you know people that sort of saw beyond the facade. But I did. I, I it's the same thing that you were saying, Matthew. I always wanted to point out what was wrong with me before other people did, and that was another thing I learned mm-hmm. in high school. Like, haha, yeah. you can't make fun of me. I made fun of myself first, and I've realized now at my advanced old age of the age that I am, I realized that I'd done myself a disservice all my life. Like, um, like even, even when I did the, um, Cedar Chucky, I played myself, Jennifer Tilly, international mm-hmm. film star. And I'm really good friends with Don Mancini. And I go, Oh my gosh, can you just like make me the diva from hell? So we took all my really bad traits and we exaggerated them and we made myself, I was very narcissistic and I was self-involved. And you're really I, mean to your housekeeper in that I, movie. I kind of don't remember that, but I probably, I'm sure I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the studio actually made, and I wrote a lot of the joke that I came up, done and I. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's the writer, but, mm-hmm. but like when Tiffany is pulling Jennifer Tilly's body along the floor, it's, it's a crazy show for those of you who haven't <laughs> seen it. I, I ad-libbed, fuck, she's fat. Uh. <laughs> I'm the only person that thought I was fat. I always thought I was fat. I was, um, I was, um. I was round and sexy, but I always thought that I was fat. But I was the first person that said that, that put that out into the world. And also in Cedar mm-hmm. Chucky, I played a character whose uh, career was on the downslide. And I remember I had a line that said, um, I said, I don't want to be on Fear Factor in a worm eating contest with Anna Nicole Smith. And then my assistant <laughs> goes, which you'd probably win. So <laughs> we, we did all this stuff about how much I like to eat and how my career was in trouble. And even Tiffany goes, Jennifer, tell you, your career is in trouble. 
but my career wasn't in trouble. I was like a rising star, <laughs> but then people forget where it came from. So a lot of journalists and people in Hollywood, they thought that the fake Jennifer Tilly in the Chucky movie was actually the real me and oh, it goes around I hate and, that. Yeah. I hate that. They repeat things that you said about yourself deprecating, but they kind of use it against they, they're like, oh Jennifer Tilly, blah, 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 blah. And they don't it has a very different temper when it comes from someone else mm-hmm. as opposed to when it comes from you. And yeah. I also I remember Janine Garofalo, I heard the name of her production company, and I so relate it. It was called I Hate Myself Productions. Yes, uh-huh. I remember that too. It had such a resonance for me because she sort of said what we all feel. Like I'll be yeah. walking around the house sometimes and the thought just sort of flows to the surface. Oh, you're ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. 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 And yeah, so I'm, I do have a, like a lot of anxiety, but I feel like if I just make so much fun of myself um, that people won't, they'll be like, oh, that, that, that poor thing. She's, you know, <laughs> she knows she's a fraud. And yeah. um, even in poker, like I would always before it, because I play with all like the top, you know, like. Yeah, like, you are you like know? an you're like a world class poker player. I'm I'm such a brilliant poker player. You don't even know, but I would always go. I remember I would be like, oh, oh, all these poker players. And I didn't even believe it. I was just saying it so people wouldn't make fun of me and think I thought I was something. I'd be like, oh, there's so much better than me. Oh, I know who the fish at the table is. Fish is the name for the person that everyone's been mm-hmm. tracking. Everybody's like, oh, it's me. It's like, oh, they're professional poker players. I'm just bride of Chucky. So <laughs> I, just, I just started thinking. I'm a really good poker player. Why mm-hmm. didn't I put it out there? Because everybody else picked up the refrain, like, oh, you know, oh, they're playing with Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. Wow, I'd like to be in that game. And right. it's like, now I look at myself and I've watched myself, play. I'm like, you know what? I'm actually better than a lot of those people that are supposedly like, yeah. And, and I can hold my own with all those people. So why am I the one saying, why am I putting myself yeah. down? Right. It, yeah. It, yes. I feel like I, re- I kind of, I really relate to that actually, because I know that if I like, sometimes I guess in my own thinking, like whether I'm making jokes or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like I'm almost like intentionally setting the bar low so that like if I don't really do well then it's like well that's what I was expecting anyway or if (laughs) I go above it then it's like oh well great you know then I exceeded my expectations but I know that the problem for that at least for me is that sometimes that almost kind of lends itself to like a self-fulfilling prophecy do you know what I mean so it's Mm -hmm. like I I on certain levels just keep myself from being able to actually to excel so like but it, it kind of sounds like that's what you were talking about also, Jennifer. Yeah, Jennifer, it sounds to me as if, uh, Matt, like you said earlier, you know, like as as queer kids, and we've talked about this on the show, it's like we have to beat everybody to the punch. Yeah, right? absolutely. And as a comedian, too. Yeah, I'm and a, as a comedian, too. Comedian and it sounds like I have friends who grew up as army brats who went from place to place to place mm-hmm. to place. I think we had Malin Ackerman on the show and mm-hmm. that's that's how she was raised. And it was, um, if I remember correctly, and um When you're the new kid constantly, you're always having to read the room. Mm -hmm. What am I going to have to do to fit in? I'm always the new kid. How am I going to establish rapport? And it sounds like you figured it out, the rubric of it in the 11th grade. It was like, okay, this is the this is the character. This is the persona that works. I've never heard that word used in a sentence before. I'm so impressed. Rubric. Rubric. Yes, I know the word, but I've never heard Uh anybody use it. It's good. It's good. I like you're you're not only hot, you're smart. Oh well, listen, (laughs) more than just a pretty face. (laughs) We love we love Alex. But yeah, you know, I do feel like like I even do a thing sometimes where I I get an audition. I don't work on it as much as I should because then I feel like if I get rejected, it's not because I'm a terrible actor. It's because Oh, I should right. work on it for another mm, half hour. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I've always said, I'm not the girl next. Uh, I'm not the girl next door. I'm the girl next door to the girl next door. Or, or like, yeah. I always thought of myself as the Ali Sheedy part in the Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I never, uh, I, and and so I always felt like I was a character actress. And then I kind of look back on my career. It's like, oh, I was so beautiful. And I would also say. I'm not a beautiful person, but I can do beautiful because I'm an actress. So I would say if the part calls for it, I can play beautiful. Uh, such, a, such a good actress, but I would never, ever think of yourself of that way as yeah. that. 
And uh, my friend Shanti is also like a very funny girl. Remember there was a book in the 90s and it was called The Rules, right? All uh-huh. the things your mm-hmm. eyes don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We were, um, we read it and there was one um, sentence that really stood out. It said, guys don't like big, loud, knee-slapping women. <laughs> and Shanti goes, that's us because we always felt like she we always felt like we had to be really loud you know how they would say the, the moms in the uh, the movies would be like you better work on your personality because you ain't gonna get anywhere on your yeah. looks yeah. we're both beautiful oh. girls but we all thought that we thought that we were playing and had to have a really big outsized personality to be accepted yeah. And we were both beautiful, but we we didn't we didn't know that. So it's always um, in hindsight. Yeah. It's always like twenty years later, you look back at pictures of yourself, and I was fucking hot at my most insecure. <laughs> well, so- totally, because when you're because when you know you grow up and you're either like the weirdo or the new kid or the gay kid or whatever it is that just makes you different. That mm-hmm. kind of shit resonates with you, and it gets internalized, right? Like that there's something yeah. wrong with me. Like not like I'm just struggling to kind of fit in because I'm unique and different, but there's something less than about me, and then. And we have these kind of like ways of trying to overcompensate and cope with that. And it's kind of like, well, then how can I fit in or how can I make the, the cool kids laugh or how can mm-hmm. I just try to avoid certain things? And it's kind of like what we're talking about, like the kind of self-deprecation being a part of that. My question is to Jennifer is like, how does that translate into how does that mindset translate into like a professional situation? Like when you did Bullets Over Broadway mm-hmm. and it's Tracy Ullman and Woody Allen and Diane Wiest and Jim Broadbent, all those amazing people. And you're thrown into that. Do you find your old thing of like establishing rapport with everybody kind of kicking in right away? No, I honestly, I loved that character because she, I could really relate to her is that she felt insecure and she really wanted to be, I I mean, I felt like she was so commendable. She really wanted to be an actress, but she knew that she was like little hoochie mama from the wrong side of the track. It's it's one of my favorite performances of yours. I quote it all the time. It's the Belasco, not the Marasco, you cement head. (laughs) 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 and i used that's when i first realized that i had a a gay following is people would come up to me and they would be like charm 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 Charm. charm, (laughs) charm, charm." and also the other line i always say that i always say when i pick up a script i say this at all table reads Mm -hmm. this isn't a lead a lead has a line on every page (laughs) i only have lines on some of the pages this isn't a lead so don't try to snow me (laughs) don't try to snow me i add live that Ali gets to kiss people I don't get to kiss nobody I ad-libbed a lot of my lines I ad-lib charm 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 would he let me ad-lib because he liked the stuff I said but there are other actors on the show he did not want to ad-lib but he didn't want to be mean like if he didn't like what you were doing he'd be like oh this is Woody Allen Woody Allen Mm -hmm. he would he he told me to push um what's the guy that played Joe Vitarelli Mm -hmm. Joe Vitarelli was saying some lines he didn't want him to say and he came up to me and he goes can you push him out the door sooner he goes before he has a chance to make all his stupid ad libs i'm like oh my god you're woody allen i know he's very fond of these ad libs he came up with you're the director why don't you just tell him don't say that yeah <laughs> he didn't want tell to yourself yeah and uh one person got replaced on the movie and he's notorious for replacing people and the last thing he said i think they did like 27 takes and the last thing he said at the end of the day was I think we got it. And the next day, somebody else showed up doing his part. And it was just, it turned out that he kind of didn't know what he wanted because the new guy did 31 takes, more than 27. Mm-hmm. And But but um, I heard that somebody said that he's notorious, you know, he's notorious for replacing people, but sometimes he would forget to tell them because he doesn't like unpleasantness. And so Juliet Taylor, his casting director, mm-hmm. would try to find out before opening night if he had told them, because she said, Woody, you have to tell them because, you know, you're the director. You need to give them a phone call because several times he didn't. And the actor would show up with his family in tow only to <gasps> see somebody else up on screen. In his costume, saying his lines. Mm. So I honestly. That seems kind of cowardly to me to not it, tell somebody. It's a little cowardly. I yeah. think it's nice just to like pull the bandaid off. You know, it's like yeah. just just do it. Because be I think a lot of times when you're trying to be nice, you're doing people a disservice. Just yes. let them know where they stand. But I actually was worried that I was going to be replaced because um they told me they needed all the whole month of February for reshoots. And February kind of came and went and I had my agent call up and say 
<laughs> what's going on? Um, yeah, is Ali Sheedy on set right well, now? Yeah, what's happening? What, what's going on? They go, oh yeah, we did the reshoots. We didn't need Jennifer. And I was like, oh my God, have I been replaced? But I, I wasn't replaced. So Jennifer, yes, it, it sounds like to me, like, okay, your confidence in that character and your affection for that character yes. pulled you through the shoot of that movie. Yeah, and I wasn't, I wasn't intimidated by the, I was not intimidated by the other actors. Mm -hmm. I would say sometimes like in, in, in auditions, sometimes I go and I don't do myself any favors because I love to help people cast. And I say, you know, it'd be great for this part. And I start telling done me that other too. people, they'd be better. And they're like, oh, what a good idea. Write that down. And then, you know, sometimes I go in and I do really funny ad libs. And then they're like, oh, that's so great. Do you mind if we use it? And then I'm really sad because I know I'm not going to get the part. They're writing down all my <laughs> funny ad libs that I did to put into the script for some other actress that's not as funny as me but <laughs> this is a weird thing in the 90s too is that my agent would always say the um, like I'm a comedian and a lot of times I couldn't get the, go in from comedies right and it would be like you know people like Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey or Ben Stiller or whatever mm -hmm. and, and I would be like wouldn't they want a comedian in the female part? Yeah. And they'd say, no, no, that's too much comedy. Because you're sort of, uh, I, I would guess it's a, what do you call it? A, what's the word I'm looking for? A hubris. Well, with, with the, in the male comedy world, that one funny person is all that you need. Mm -hmm. And they would always cast, I would always lose out to models who had never acted before. Uh. But I feel like, to be, you could be a straight person. You have to have a sense of comedic timing. When the right. person says his ridiculous rant, you as a comedian know that you need to wait one beat and three quarters before you say, right. okay. You don't just say your next line like, okay, that, right. that, that, that makes the, the comedy funnier is the negative space before you say your line, which a model wouldn't know. And almost a lot of these girls that got parts that I was up for in the 90s don't work anymore. And they're like all married and, and have kids. <laughs> There's, not there's, there's anything wrong with being a breeder, but I feel, <laughs> I feel like you're a comedian, but the other comedians don't want you in their movie. They're like, there's only room for one funny person in there. I know, but it's oh, like, but it, me. it's not even just like one funny person. It's like they can have as many funny guys, but mm -hmm. they feel like there has to right. be one funny girl that can't be like, because bridesmaids prove that you could have like a cast yeah. full of oh, funny yeah. women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, but I'm, you know. I'm not even talking about like a Kathy Griffin type funny or who was the the girl in Bridesmaid? The the, the Melissa McCarthy. He's hysterical. But I'm yeah. talking about Liar Liar, for example, was amazing. And why? Maura Tierney is a great comedian. And you mm -hmm. wouldn't know it because she's the straight. She's the girl next door. She played the straight man to Jim Carrey, but she has impeccable comic timing. Yeah. So that's the difference. You really are invested in their relationship. His comedy landed perfectly because yeah. she is a great comedian, but a, a straight person, you know, like, um, and, you know, and also I was good, but I was a comedian and Sweetsie Kurtz, but we were more like conventional comic characters, but yeah. more a tyranny. That's what I'm saying. That that's where I felt like everything was right about that movie. I went to I NYU love, with love, her. She was queen of the deadpan. More <laughs> yeah, Matt, yeah. you were saying. I love, yeah. And I was just going to say, like, I love how plugged in and aware you are about like everything with comedy. Right. Like the fact that there's like a specific timing for it and mm -hmm. how it can work and just kind of the nuance of it all. Um, and you had you had mentioned that, you know, kind of like earlier on in your life. Um, there was a lot of ways that maybe you kind of were self-deprecating or would kind yes. of put yourself down and that you were doing yourself a disservice. It kind of sounds like over time, you kind of learned what really was working and what wasn't. So what helped you in that, especially I'm consciously, in I'm consciously trying to turn around. I remember also too, one thing that I was pretty good about on the sets is um, sometimes where you were saying, I, I felt really confident on Bullets Over Broadway, but sometimes mm -hmm. I would show up and I would be like, Oh, nobody's noticed how terrible I am. Like, mm. oh. but I would never ever mention it. I remember reading an article. It was a, a big actor. Nobody noticing how terrible I am. Nobody noticed. I'm horrible, yeah. but nobody has noticed so far. Maybe I should that's the imposter me. syndrome. Yeah, yes. that's the imposter yeah. syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but I read an article about an actress and she was pretty bitter. She had a lead in a big <laughs> movie. She was a big actress. And she said, 
well, I didn't, wasn't, I knew it was going to be a challenge. And I went up to the director. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. She goes, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. You're going to have to help me. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I opened up my heart to him. And three days later, I was fired. I'm like, of course you were. No director wants to handhold an actress that's not sure she can do it. He's going to get an actress. I don't have the bandwidth to perform this role. Yeah. Bye. I was like, I must never, ever, ever do that. So I never say to Uh, the director, was that okay? I felt like it was awful because you don't want to be the one that puts into somebody's mind that you're awful or that you need to lose weight or anything like that. Did you ever work with Jim, uh, 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 Jim Bridges? Jeff Bridges. I haven't uh, worked with Jim Bridges, but I worked with Jeff Bridges. Jim Bridges, Bridges. is doesn't say anything, Matthew, mm-hmm. unless something's wrong. Right. But he won't. He'll like laugh like, huh, like that's it. But <laughs> so the first time I worked with him, I was like, this motherfucker hates me. Like he didn't talk to me the entire week. And then when we did the pilot together earlier this year again, and I had to remind myself, oh, um, he doesn't talk, but every, every, every night I was like, I'm going to be replaced. They're going to be, they're going <laughs> to replace me because Jim isn't laughing. He's not saying anything to me. Like it's really easy to kind of put yourself through those paces. And I think that's when the self-deprecating stuff starts to do you a disservice. You were talking Absolutely. earlier, like, when does it become bad? That's mm-hmm. when it becomes bad. We used to play games on sets and, uh, but I would try not to participate. Like when everyone's insecure and they would say like, Oh, uh, like an example, like everyone's got their doppelganger. This person's mm-hmm. always up up for them, up against. And I'm not going to name any names because you'll think people might think it's a true story. But they're like, oh, uh, you know, Joey, Joey, so-and-so is on his way. He's on the plane right now to replace me. Mm-hmm. And it, actually, Leona Douglas told me uh, a story that I... I kind of gave me chills they did this movie called uh, alive where they there's a plane crash oh yeah, yeah. i love iliana she's one she's, of my favorite people oh, she's so fabulous i'm sure she's told this story before but they didn't they decided they wanted to replace the actor that played her husband and they'd already filmed for like three weeks or whatever the plane plane crash and they landed and everything and they're like um Eliana, we, you know, you're gonna we're doing some work with the guy. <laughs> and they knew they were gonna replace him, but it was took a while to get the other guy. So they shot all this stuff with um the and then they replaced him. And you know, he was understandably upset. And she said, and nobody even noticed that he had been replaced because I guess the way that they edited it together, but that I always thought like, oh, wouldn't that be awful if they're filming with you knowing that they're going to replace you as soon as the other person becomes available? It's like, gee, they're doing a lot of shots to the back of my head. (laughs) 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 How come they're not doing any of my coverage? They're just shooting the other actor. What's going on? my, My coverage. Oh, no coverage. We don't need it. We got it. Why are you shooting? Why are you shooting up from such a long ways away? Oh, such a magnificent vista! I think it would be lovely if there's little dots in 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 the distance. Matthew, is there a technique? Like, do you ever tell your? I'm sure that you have p- patients who or people who speak to you who have kind of a negative thing going on in their head, like I'm going to be fired yeah. or the imposter syndrome thing. Is there is there a thought that th- that can replace that that's effective that shuts it down immediately? Yeah, for sure. Separating our thoughts from our feelings and also not over identifying with either of them, you know, that there's a fear that something's lacking is legitimate that we're actually lacking is not. You know, and so just oh, learning wait, how say to say that again, because that's really good. A fear that we're lacking, a fear that we're inadequate is legitimate because those are just normal human feelings. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that we're not lacking. And so when we can separate those two and we learn how to just have the you know way of vulnerably communicating that or expressing mm-hmm. that, that can be really helpful because it normalizes our humanity. And also we can say, but I know that's not true, too. And so then that helps to reinforce a new, more positive way of thinking for ourselves. Um, yeah. It's true. Something that you guys were saying before I came on where you said, oh, you know, I feel like it it makes you feel like it makes you more relatable. Like, oh, I'm just like you. I have anxieties and and everything like that. But I always wanted, um, you know, uh, to be a major motion picture star. And, you know, that that doesn't lend itself to being like somebody that takes out the garbage. And like when I first came to Hollywood, the gap ads were all the rage Mm -hmm. and the stylist would show up with a suitcase full of white t-shirts and um, torn jeans, 
and no shoes because they wanted you to be like barefoot in hey jeans i'm just and like you i'm just yeah. like you i take out mm-hmm. the garbage just like you and i was thought like i don't turn on the tv or go to the movies to see people that look just like me and um <laughs> this one publicist said let me cheat and let me go because i would bring a big suitcase of my own clothes like glittery dresses and high heels mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like a female drag queen i was like i want to be a fantastical creature from hollywood not to yes. be like you yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my but, um, gosh. Yeah. But I, re- I remember the sometimes the photographer, they'd see the, all the white t-shirts and jeans and they, their face would fall. And once we were we were shooting, he wanted to shoot against this gold door. And I was like, oh my God, I have a gold dress in my car. And the um, publicist went to park her car and she came back. She was so angry. I was wearing this gold dress. It was almost see-through and I was splayed against the gold door. And all there was this traffic jam cars were honking and slowing down she was so angry she stood behind the um the photographer that was happily sampling she goes stop stop right now (laughs) she's trying to change my image and he goes what he goes you know we have killed it she goes you're just wasting your time we're not going to use any of those pictures I actually have some of those pictures. They were fabulous. It was yeah. That, this, that outfit is why lesbians chase you down the street <laughs> and out of bathrooms and out of windows. So when we go see you at a, like a horror con or or a sci-fi con or a comic con, are you going to be all glammed up? Oh my gosh! When I went when I went to Comic Con, do you know the blondes? Uh, the blondes in New York. They make mm-hmm. all these fabulous like corsets and studded things. Yeah, yeah. I had to make a dress for me that had a giant Tiffany face, all in all <gasps> bedazzled on the front. Oh, cool. Yes. And it's like, and of course it, and the fans loved it. You could yeah. see like, I don't know, I guess it's on my Instagram, but it's insane. And I had to make a Chucky tr. It's like a big tr, and they had like rubies, like drops of blood. And then Chucky climbing over the top of the tiara. So I just feel like, oh God, I, love I just feel like give them something to look at. Yeah, right. For, Four years ago, when the other Chucky movie came out, they made me a dress and it had Chucky written on it and like great giant, like shiny letters. And then it had a bedazzled Chucky. So, I mean, I love doing that. It's just it's just a lot. It's a lot of fun. I'm never the shy retiring type, you've except be- for in real life. <laughs> you've been in enough kind of cult favorites to mm-hmm. stay in people's hearts and minds forever i mean between bound and bullets over broadway and also with all the kids watching you and monsters Mm -hmm. i hear your voice and i hear googly bear (laughs) (laughs) i could talk to you forever and ever but we've come to the end of our program oh it's been so much fun it's It's really nice to meet you guys we always end the program with a hot message Okay, a hot message from our our celebrity, because we always want to apply what you've gone through into like, how can we pass on the lessons of the life of Jennifer Tilly onto somebody else? So if there is somebody who is is feeling insecure in a new situation or and has the has the um, the first impulses to be Mm self-deprecating, what would you what would your hot message be? Well, I know this is a cliche, but I always Mm -hmm. use the magic as if. So when I go down a red carpet or I go to a party and I feel like, oh, I'm just like grubby Jennifer from the high road, which is, you know, what what I used to be. I pretend as if I'm like a movie star and I just put myself Mm. out there. I see it as like, remember the old Western towns here, like one story buildings and they have these big fake fronts to make it look Mm -hmm. like it's a three story building. Yeah. Yeah. A facade. And that's what you do. And you know what? You have to think that everybody else is just as insecure as you are. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times if you go to a party, don't go with the feeling like, Oh, I hope somebody talks to me. I hope I don't have a bad time. You walk in there. If you feel insecure, look around. There's a lot of people sort of standing in a corner, clutching, a drink in their grumpy mm-hmm. little hands that really wish somebody would talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you're behaving like I'm the most fabulous person and everybody wants to talk to me, it usually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I, I create this person that when I do talk shows and stuff that people want to talk to that's interesting and sort of like being one step removed from you and your insecurities. It's it's the, the false front, but it, it's really you. It's your good yeah. face exaggerated. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Where can people find you on your socials, Jennifer Tilly? I'm at Jennifer Tilly. That's my name on Twitter and also Instagram. And I have the blue check mark. <laughs> verified. <laughs> I pulled some streets to get verified. <laughs> so yeah, look for that little blue check mark, ladies and gentlemen. All right. And I'm not on Facebook. And not on Facebook. And watch Chucky the Series, which has been relaunched. You have a recurring on that as well. And it's it's a different take. It's an LGBTQ story on it's the series fabulous. now. 
on USA. Yes, um, Don Mancini is a, a proud out gay man, and it's a fabulous show. We've been getting great ratings, great reviews. My character, Tiffany, comes striding into town November 9th, and she never leaves. Ensues. <laughs> Lots of fabulousness coming up. Yay. <laughs> All right. I, I love you, Jennifer. And for the rest of the day, I'm going to pretend as if I have that closet <laughs> in back of you. And that's who I am. Thank you right. so much. We'll yeah. talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Bye, Jennifer. guys. Thanks. Bye. I love that, Matthew. Yeah. As if. <laughs> Jennifer is something. She's a one of a kind. When we filmed together, we would all go out to dinner together at a restaurant. And my friend Angel McConnell, who was an assistant on the show, who uh, Jennifer would play poker with, would just say, OK, sit back and just enjoy the Jennifer Tilly show. <laughs> it's the Jennifer Tilly. And that's what you, you had. The Jennifer, you had the Jennifer Tilly experience. Today. Listen, front row. And I am very, very happy with that. That's really cool. What's your yeah. hot message for the day? Mm, I think my hot message would be, I, I kind of like the idea of the as if, right? Like kind of mm-hmm. think until you make it, like, you know, put the best part of, of yourself forward, even if you don't fully like believe in it, because the more that you practice that, the more that that becomes a little bit more self-fulfilling. And it also becomes something that we inevitably feel. So I'll piggyback on that. Right. Very good. And I'll piggyback on that. <laughs> um. Well, just what Jennifer said about like, Everybody has, everybody's has their stuff. Oh my God. Everybody has their stuff. Sorry. Everybody has their stuff. That is like the singular thing that makes me feel far more comfortable in social situations, putting myself out there is, and I have the, almost the privilege of, of hearing everybody's stuff. So I'm constantly reminded of it. You professionally have the experience, the meta experience. And I always know that everybody's got their shit. Everybody has their insecurity. So I know I could very kind of like, you know, come into the situation knowing that mine's okay too. Right. So my my hot message is just remember yes. that everyone's a hot mess. Yes, we're all hot mess. Everyone's a hot mess somewhere. Yeah. Where can people find you on your socials, big boy? You can find me at MJ I wanted Dempsey to see Psych. if you giggled because you always <laughs> giggle. You giggled again. At MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. You're so cute. You can find me at Alec Mop on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us both at The Hot Mess. Now, we have been like our podcast is growing and growing so it's a mental health podcast folks if you're if you're coming here for the first time welcome if welcome back if you've been listening to us don't forget to download and subscribe we love bringing the message of mental health to you every single week everybody's a hot mess tune in next week for more hot mess fun we'll see you then bye bye everybody this has been a stage 29 podcast production The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.